As we come to the, the portion of the message, I'm done, all of the announcements, let's just take a moment and pray. Let's surrender our hearts to the Lord this morning. Father, we come and we worship you this morning. May the praises of our lips, as we have just declared songs of praise to you, bring glory to your name. Holy Spirit, we invite your presence to move among us this morning. Holy Spirit, I invite you to dwell in this place. Lead us and guide us as we seek you. Illuminate the word to us this morning. And may we hear your voice and draw near to you, Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are now in week six of a series that I have entitled Believe. Um, we are looking at the signs, uh, the miracles that Jesus performs as they've been recorded in the Gospel of John. And of course, you will remember that John is recording these miracles because he believes that they will lead us to know that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, and they will lead us to have life in him. They are an invitation to surrender, to complete trust, and as Ron even mentioned before, to go all in. To go all in for Jesus. To believe. And so far we've looked at the following miracles. We looked at Jesus turning the water into wine at the wedding in Cana. We looked at Jesus healing the official son. We looked at Jesus healing the man at the pool. And then last week we looked at Jesus feeding the 5,000. And if you've missed any of these sermons and you're interested in checking them out, you can certainly check them out. They are available on our church website. Um, go online and check them out. And, and here, maybe there's things that you missed and you want to go back over. Maybe there's things that you don't know that just didn't quite sit right with you. Maybe you didn't hear it, or maybe I wasn't clear and you want to check them out. Absolutely, go on. But this morning, I want to invite us to look at a miracle that is kind of smack dab in a bigger portion of Scripture. And so we're going to be looking at Jesus walking on the water. And so if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to turn with me in, the, in your Bible to John chapter 6. And our passage this morning is not a long passage. It, it is often just like a blip if you're reading through John's Gospel. So John chapter 6, starting in verse 16, reads this. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were terrified. But he said to them, It is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Have you ever wondered about the significance of this story? 
as I was reading through the Gospel of John, and I've been reading through it uh, in my devotional time uh, in preparation a little bit for the sermon series, but just to, just to hear John's words. And when I came to this por- portion of the passage, I was kind of like, what is going on, Jesus? John, what are you trying to tell us? You see, on the one side of the miracle, as I said, we have jo- Jesus performing this miracle of feeding 5,000 people. He then sends his disciples, they get into this boat and they cross over the Sea of Galilee and, and when they get to the Sea of Galilee, or the other side of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus is going to give the people a really hard teaching on him being the bread of life. And so it really, in so many ways, it feels like this break in the narrative. It feels like a break in the story. It's like, okay, what is going on? It's almost as if it's like in parentheses. I was like, okay, God, there's something here. What is it? Why would Jesus walk on the water? And I believe it's a lesson in learning how to trust Jesus. This, to me, is where the disciples learned to surrender and to go all in. In the midst of their fears and their doubts. If you remember from before, in John chapter 5, Jesus is declaring himself as the Messiah. He is declaring himself as the one who is sent from the Father. And the religious leaders of the time, they were offended. They didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was going to be, who he was. And there's this strife, there's this animosity between them. And Jesus is going around and he's performing all these miracles. And John tells us he doesn't record all of them, but we can see all of these things that he's done. And John tells us that Jesus was going around healing the sick. And then he comes to this place where he feeds the 5,000. And if we were actually to back up just two verses before our our passage this morning, we, we see what's going on. And this is where it's significant because it says this. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So the religious leaders, they are offended. They don't believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And now he has just made bread from heaven appear. And the common people are beginning to think differently about Jesus. They are starting to believe that he is the deliverer deliverer and the provider that they have been waiting for. The one who will give them food and who will set them free from the bondage of Roman rule. And so they want to make Jesus king. They get excited Even if you don't want to be king, Jesus, we have seen what you have done and we are going to enthrone you. You will set us free. But Jesus, he's not going to be made king by force. And Jesus, when he gets to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, is really, he lays down tough teaching for them. I think we, we kind of skim over the idea of when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, and we sort of take it for granted. We, we've become so accustomed to reading this passage and, and to talking about it in terms of communion. 
But for the people that in those days, that would have been significant. This was a teaching that they had never heard before. And John tells us that it was this teaching that turned many of Jesus' followers away. At the end of John chapter 6, he says this, Jesus says, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. It says, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And from this time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. This was not what they had signed up for. They were looking for an earthly king. They were looking for the solution to their immediate physical problems. What was right in their face. But what about the twelve? What about the disciples who had been closest to Jesus, who had been walking with him? Jesus actually goes and he turns to his disciples and he asks them an even harder question, I think. He says, you do not want to leave too, do you? I often wonder if Jesus is asking us that question. Are you wanting to leave? Are the things that I am teaching and the things that I'm declaring tough? Simon Peter answers him. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Do you hear what Peter is saying there? This is perhaps one of the very first time that the disciples have actually acknowledged in fullness who Jesus is. It is in this moment that Peter is able to say with authority and assurance, Jesus, you are the Son of God. Where else would we go? It's this understanding that Jesus is more than just an earthly king. He is an eternal king. This declaration is of the greatest importance in the lives of the disciples. Everything the disciples are about to see and experience hinges on this declaration. As they journey with Jesus, as he enters in, soon after this, they're going, there's a little bit of time that goes by, but they're going to enter into the Passover season where Jesus is going to go to the cross. Where he is going to die. And then he is going to be raised again from the dead to life. And they are going to be called to go out and to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And without the understanding of who Jesus really is, there's no way that they could actually do that. There's no way that they could endure the, the shame and, and the fear that comes with the cross and with the mission that they have been called to without an assurance that Jesus is the Son of God. And so they had to grasp it. They had to grasp that this was why Jesus came. To establish a, a heavenly kingdom. 
And I believe that the reason why Peter and the disciples are able to make this declaration is because of the encounter they have with Jesus in the storm as he walks on the water. It's not just a parenthesis in a greater passage. It is an exclamation point. Let's look at the passage again. You see, John tells us that it was evening when the disciples went down to the lake and got into the boat. They have just witnessed the feeding of the 5,000. Everybody is fed. They are nourished. The people have gotten excited. But Jesus takes his disciples and he gets them in the boat and he sends them off. And if you were to read the other accounts, this is recorded in Matthew and Mark as well. And it's if you read the accounts of Matthew and Mark, you'll find that the disciples were actually reluctant to leave Jesus. They don't want to get into the boat. And some of the scholars that I've read, they would suggest that the disciples might have actually gotten drawn in to the excitement of the people. 5,000 men, 10,000, 20,000 people, all who see Jesus as the potential king who will lead them and free them and who will provide for their every need. How could you not get excited? How, would it not, how could you not be filled with, yes, Jesus, this is why you've come. You've come to establish your kingdom. Isn't that why the Messiah was coming? To set us free? And so they get excited. But why is Jesus giving this up? It would have made no sense to them at this point. If Jesus is telling them, I am the coming king, I am the Messiah, I am the sent one, why is it that when the people are wanting to put you into this position of power and authority, you're walking away? If Jesus isn't going to be made king in the way that the people were expecting, how is it that the disciples will come to the place where they are assured that he is the Son of God? That he is the redeeming king. And so he puts them in the boat. He sends them off and he heads up to the mountain to, to pray. And the disciples, they were reluctant, and it actually talks about how they were waiting around. It said it was, it's dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. They're sort of lingering. They're waiting for Jesus to come down out of the mountain and to get into the boat with them. But he hasn't come back and it starts to get dark and so they finally set sail. When they head out to sea, the waters are calm. They're still. But as they are sailing, a strong wind comes up. Have you ever been on the water in a boat, when a strong wind starts to come on the waters. My experiences have always been little like Alberta lakes. I've been on the oceans a little bit, but I wonder what it, I, I always imagine as I, when we drive to Niagara Falls and you're headed over the bridges and you see the waves and they're choppy. As the winds pick up, as the storm comes, it gets rough. And this was not uncommon. 
In fact, this is a normal occurrence for the Sea of Galilee. It's the way it's geographically and physically shaped. The winds will come down, and it's sort of like this fishbowl, and the winds come in, and it picks up, and the waters get rough, and the winds blow. But this storm seems to be different than any storm the disciples have ever faced before. And the thing is, is that these disciples were not inexperienced sailors. Many of them were fishermen. This was their lifeblood. This is what they had grown up doing. This was the family trait. They knew how to navigate the waters. They knew how to navigate a boat. They were experienced at sailing, and they had probably experienced many storms over the years. But this one was like no other. John tells us that they were only about halfway, three or four miles in. The Sea of Galilee is about six miles across, ten miles long. So they weren't even halfway. And if, once again, if you, you compare this to the accounts in Matthew and Mark, we actually learn that when they set sail in the point where they see Jesus is about 8 to 12 hours difference. They have been rowing for 8 to 12 hours and they have only gone 3 miles. What I have learned is that it takes about an hour and a half, two hours at most, to sail across the Sea of Galilee. Can you imagine... They set sail at dark. And they are toiling all night long trying to make headway against the winds and against the waves. And they are rowing and they are rowing and they are rowing and they are going nowhere. They would have been exhausted. They would have been drained both physically and emotionally. I couldn't even imagine what they were experiencing in that moment. The darkness would have made the storm even more dangerous and uncomfortable. And so maybe they rode even harder. They just wanted to get to the other side. Maybe they even tried turning around and that wasn't helping them either. We don't know. But they are rowing and they are going nowhere. And it's at this point that they see Jesus. They are in the middle of a lake, in the middle of a storm, and all of a sudden there is an image, there is a man, and it is Jesus, and it says that they were frightened. They were terrified, they were afraid, and of course they would be. I would be terrified if I suddenly saw somebody walking on the water in the midst of my emotional and my physical exhaustion. In the midst of the fear of what am I going to do? Am I ever going to get out of this storm? Or is this it? I wonder if they thought, is this where I'm going to die, Jesus? Am I going to be buried here in the Sea of Galilee? They're terrified. But Jesus silences their fears with a compassionate word. He says, it is I, don't be afraid. And when Jesus is saying, it is I, he is actually, in the Greek, he is saying, I am. 
I am. Don't be afraid. If you remember from Sunday school classes, this is the, the defining moment in the life of Moses, is it not? When God appears to Moses and he's sending him to the people, God says to him, I am. And Moses is questioning God and he says, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What is his name? What is the God? Who is the God of the Israelites? What shall I tell them? And God responds to Moses. He says, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. This is the declaration that Jesus is making on the water to his disciples. It's the same way we see him as he declares all of the I am statements that John records as well. I am, do not be afraid. So here is Jesus making the same declaration that he is in fact the one who is, he is God. He has come from the Father. And on top of it, he is walking on the water. And Job, when he is describing the word, who God is, Job says this, he says, He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. No one but our Father in heaven could do this. No one but the Creator of heaven and earth has the ability to walk on water. And so here is Jesus in the midst of the storm, in the midst of all that is going wrong, and he is declaring through both his words and through his actions, I am God. I am the one who has been sent. There is absolutely no way the disciples could miss it this time. None. Well, maybe. We're pretty ignorant sometimes. And we're pretty thick. But what a powerful declaration that Jesus is making. Then in verse 21, John tells us this. It says, Then they were willing to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Can you imagine? If we look in some of the other accounts, we see Peter, he wants to get out onto the water. And he's like, Jesus, if it's you, call me out. And he gets out and he steps in and he sinks. And Jesus has to lift him out and they get into the boat. But immediately they were on the shore where the disciples couldn't make any headway, where they had been rowing all night long. Immediately they are there. They have reached their destination. I love what John Piper says about this miracle. He says this, he says, this time he doesn't give them the 12 baskets of miracle bread. He gives them the miracle of his presence when they thought there was no way he could be there. There is no earthly way that Jesus could be on the water in the midst of the storm. And yet he shows up. The disciples welcomed him into the boat. 
They willingly invited his presence into their situation. And what's more is I believe that they recognized his voice. When he spoke those words, I am, do not be afraid, they knew it was Jesus. And it was in him that all of their fears were relieved. I wonder, what do you fear? What do you fear about going all in? What do you fear about your life? Maybe you have a fear of being left out or a fear of rejection. Maybe you have a fear of abandonment. I don't know. Maybe you fear what will happen financially if you surrender to God. We can look all around this world. Maybe we have fears about what is happening politically. I want to read... I'm going to read for you a passage out of Henry Nouwen's book. It's called A Cry for Mercy. And it's a collection of his prayers when he's at a monastery and he's just praying. But he, he says this, and as I was reading this book and as I was reading through his prayers, I was struck in how he's actually talking about the same thing that we are this morning. So it says, Tuesday, February 20th. Today, O Lord, I felt intense fear. My whole being seems to be invaded by fear. No peace, no rest, just plain fear. Fear of mental breakdown, fear of living the wrong life, fear of rejection and condemnation, and fear of you. Oh Lord, why is it so hard to overcome my fear? Why is it so hard to let your love banish my fear? Only when I worked with my hands for a while did it seem that the intensity of the fear decreased. I felt so powerless to overcome this fear. Wednesday, February 21st. I call to you, O Lord, from my quiet darkness. Show me your mercy and love. Let me see your face, hear your voice, touch the hem of your cloak. I want to love you, to be with you, to speak to you, and simply stand in your presence. But I cannot make it happen. Pressing my eyes against my hands is not praying. And reading about your presence is not living in it. But there is that moment in which you will come to me as you did your fearful disciples and say, Do not be afraid. It is I. Let that moment come soon, O Lord. In the midst of the storm, when the disciples have done everything they can, they have used every piece of knowledge about sailing the Sea of Galilee, they have rowed their boat, they have done everything, and the storm is still raging on, and they are gripped with fear. Jesus is there. And so we may not find ourselves in the middle of a lake with a storm raging around us, but each one of us will face the storms of life. And when the storms come, do you turn to fear or do you, or do you turn inwards? Do you try to take control? Rowing harder and harder, longer and longer, determined to rely on your own strength, determined to do it alone? 
See, whenever we start to give in to the spirit of fear, it is like the futile rowing of the disciples. We struggle on our own terms and we often forgetting what is true because fear has clouded our judgment. We get so wrapped up in our fears. And in fact, if you've ever experienced fear, you start to, like, not hallucinate, but you start to compound your own fears by all of the what ifs. But what if this happens when I do that? And then you start to worry about that and you start to add fear upon fear upon fear and we begin to lose sight of the truth. And so we struggle and we struggle and yet we end up no closer to our destination. No matter what we're going through, no matter the circumstances, no matter the difficulty and no matter the darkness, Jesus wants us to trust in Him. Because when we trust who Jesus really is, our fears will be displaced by something greater. The very presence of Jesus. When you know who Jesus is, and, the, and, and fears come and, and the desire for control comes, we can actually replace them with the presence of Jesus. Trust and surrender, going all in, these are not something we do only once in our life. It is not just the one-time declaration that Jesus, will you forgive me and now I'm a Christian and that is all it means to believe. No, it is a lifelong surrender to Him. It is a lifelong trusting in Him and coming to Him over and over and over again we make a decision to trust in Jesus. And the question that I have then is, so how do we develop that trust? It's easy to talk about it, oh, just trust in Jesus, and you're sitting there thinking, okay, but how? That's easy for you to say. But I think what we need to do is we need to learn how to cultivate an awareness of his presence. We need to train ourselves to know God's voice. To be able to hear him when he speaks. Because how else can we handle the storms that come our way without some way of being able to hear his voice when he shows up in the midst of the storms saying, do not be afraid, it is I. How do we know that he is there with us? We live in such a busy world. Our lives are so full that we hardly have time to stop. And sometimes we have time to stop, but we fill it with so many other things. I was just thinking over the, the last couple of weeks, I, I've been on somewhat of a media fast. I have significantly reduced my time sitting in front of the TV. It, it's a comfort thing. We come and we sit and we'll turn on friends or we'll turn on a movie and we'll just kind of like, God, I just need some time. And instead, I've been turning more and more to his presence and to being with him. But we live in such a busy life that we often negate that, that time spent with him. And when we spend time with him, it's on our agenda. 
It's what I need to get out of my relationship with you. God, I'm coming to you because I need to read my Bible because I know that's what I need to do. I'm going to pray, but it's only going to be the list of all of the things that I want or that I need. And we never actually sit and listen to his voice. And so we need to stop and we need to listen to his voice in the stillness. And over and over again, we see this invitation to spending time in the quiet and in the still and in the silence with Jesus. Psalm 46.10 says this, it says, Be still and know that I am God. How do you know that he's God? You're still. In the silence. Psalm 37, 7 again says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Exodus 14, 14, The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Over and over again, we see it in Scripture as people would surrender and as they would wait upon the Lord, the Lord would answer. They would hear His voice. And God has a lot to say if we would only pause and listen. And it's through cultivating that presence and learning to hear His voice in the silence that we learn to trust and go all in so that when the storms come, we know that it is Jesus. And it is who He says He is. We can trust and go all in. I want to close with a little bit of a, a personal story. Um, it's a little bit of a raw and vulnerable look into our lives. And so I invite you just to, just to sit and listen for a moment. January 22nd. I wait in sadness. I wait to hear your voice. My heart cries out in loneliness, yet there are people everywhere. Who can understand my heart? Even I am so confused. You, Lord, you know, you see, you are here. I feel forgotten. I have no power. I wonder who I am. My identity, my very existence is in you. You, Lord, you know, you see, you are here. The sadness feels dark and heavy, too heavy for me alone. Words don't explain, my tears do not come, anxiety steals my peace. You, Lord, you know, you see, you are here. My masks are wearing thin, worn out from so much use. Unspoken pain is easy to hide. Loneliness disguised as a cozy blanket. You, Lord, you know, you see, you are here. This was an entry from Amanda's prayer journal. And yes, I have permission to share. And the reason I share is this, is that this was about the same time that Amanda opened up to me and shared with me that she was going through a time of loneliness. A time of mourning, and she was walking and had this feeling that she was walking through a very dark 
Valley. I watched as she seemed to be distant. She was sad. She was lonely. And the worst part about it was that there was nothing I could do about it. She would tell me that everything was okay. That she felt like God was leading her in this time to a place of greater freedom. But all I saw was the distance. And it scared me. It scared me a lot. It was always on my mind. I couldn't stop thinking it. I'd come to work. I'd be writing sermons. And it was in the back of my mind. How's Amanda doing? Is she okay? I wanted to fix everything. Husbands, I don't know if that's just who we are, but that was me. I wanted to fix her. I wanted to make everything okay. To find ways for her to come out of the loneliness, to experience joy instead of sadness. But I, there was a part of me that knew that trying to fix it would have been like the disciples who were just rowing and rowing and rowing and going nowhere. And so I knew that the only choice I had was to invite Jesus into the situation. I had to invite him into my boat. And so I began to pour out my heart and my fears to him. I would write in my prayer journal. I would just express my fears. God, I'm scared. God, I don't know what to do. But you do. And he would speak to me. He would speak to me in my quiet time and my prayers. He would tell me, I've got her. You can trust me. And so I put my trust in Jesus. And I could do this because I had put my trust in God before. I had put my faith in him. Because I spend time in his word and I spend time listening for his voice and I know that he is there. And so when he speaks to me in the good times, I know it is his, his voice, but when he speaks to me in those times that are tough, when there are storms raging all around me, I know that it is him. And so just like the disciples who were instantly where they were going when they invited Jesus into the boat, I've had the privilege of watching a man to find freedom and restoration in this journey as she is walking through a season of soul care with trusted friends. And so as a result of how I continue to see Jesus showing up in the storms of my life, and as he continues to replace my fears with his presence, I have come to the place where I can say, Jesus is the Son of God. Where else would I go? there's an invitation to you this morning to go deeper with Jesus. I can't take you there. I can simply invite you there to experience his presence, to put your trust in him, to develop an awareness of his presence so that when the storms come, and if you haven't experienced the storms yet, they do come. 
And I know many of you have experienced the storms already. Instead of rowing harder and harder and harder and trying to live in the fear and our control, it's inviting him into the boat. Allowing him to replace those fears with his presence. This morning, I want to give you just a few moments to be able to pour out your hearts to Jesus. And I want to give you space to simply invite Jesus, this presence, into whatever your situation is this morning. I don't know what you're walking through. I don't know where, what your fears are this morning. But Jesus wants to be there with you. He's coming alongside the boat and saying, don't be afraid. I'm here. Will you invite him in? Let's just take a few moments. I invite you to close your eyes. To speak to Jesus. To lay your situation, your burdens, your cares at his feet. And allow him to speak. So Jesus, we come to you this morning. In all of our humanity, in all of our brokenness, in whatever situation we find ourselves and we surrender to you. Would you come and would you speak to us? Would you still our fears and our anxiety? And would we know your presence? And would we be like the disciples who can say, where else would we go? You are the Son of God. Amen. Kim, I want to maybe throw a, an audible at you. Would you lead us in that song I'll follow again? Yeah. Thank you. As we sing, I, will, I invite you to make this your song of declaration of what you've prayed, um, that we will indeed follow him.